to Teaching Brute. We're continuing our conversation about the responsive classroom, and today we're going to focus on the rules. Right. Establishing them. Now, in the case of specialists and elementary teachers, you're going to see some fairly large differences here for one obvious reason. Time. Yep. Um, The elementary teacher has a bit more time to establish the rules with just 22 students. A specialist teacher, on the other hand, has several hundred, possibly, and has to use a similar set of rules and routines uh, for that classroom. So that tends to make it make it look different in terms of how they're established. Yes. But some things that are actually the same is that rules are always stated in the positive. Yes. Actually, before we dive in there, one thing I would do want to get into is the main resources we're using for this one. Um, first one I'm using is The First Six Weeks of School, um, which is a phenomenal book that was released by uh, Responsive Classroom people years ago and has been updated, as well as the uh, Responsive Classroom course for elementary teacher educators. And I've got the Responsive Classroom for Music, Art, PE, and Other Special Areas book, which is also put out by Responsive Classroom. Yeah, so just kind of giving you a reference to what we, when we were referring to things, it'll be coming from the, One of those three books. Yep, Absolutely. Um, so, just to give you a heads up, in the elementary classroom, rules don't get finalized until the end of week two. And it could be the same in the specialist classroom, but it would probably be the end of lesson two or lesson three. Okay, and the reason, and it, it, that, that tends to be a little bit of a surprise to a lot of people because simply because they expect all oh, the rules is like the first thing you do in your room. When the reality is, the responsive classroom approach is more of a build-up to those rules through the lens of, and this is for specialists and elementary classroom teachers, hopes and dreams, hopes and fears, with hopes and dreams with respect to how those rules are brought into place. Yes. Um, so the hopes and dreams aspect of it is that you introduce the idea of what do those students hope for in their year? What sorts of things do are the students hoping to get out of it? What sorts of things do they want to... Have And a lot of times they're as simple as, I hope to use the iPad this year. Um, I hope to do puzzles. I hope to learn about multiplication and division in the case of the elementary classroom. Um, in the case of my school, I hope, to, I, I hope to go to camp for the first time. And those tend to be, they start the foundation of the rules for the year. In the specialists, well, we might have maybe a brief discussion and this would be like five, ten minutes. You know, turn to your partner, discuss what your learning goal is. Um, some of them may actually write it down on sticky notes and post them around the room, but it doesn't actually go too much in depth. Okay. Um, and then for the elementary teacher, after they kind of establish or write their hopes and dreams, or uh, they kind of these will eventually turn into learning goals that they have for the year. Um, and after that, they kind of, you're able to group those, those goals into a series of categories, which of course leads you to the rules, the rules, the rules, and the rules can also be engaged in the case of a, in the in three categories, the place, the self and each other. In other words, your environment, your inside of you and your community as a whole. 
So on the specialist area, they're actually suggesting to save some time that the teacher is the one to create these rules and covering three, tropic, three topics, care of self, care of others, and care of the materials or the workplace. Oh, okay. Um, so it's very similar to the, the, the end three goals for us. We get to them over a much longer period because what they, what they do is they create these hopes and dreams. They establish their personal goals of the year, and then those goals end up being reflected on and begin and turn into a brainstorm of various rules. The first time you create the brainstorm, there's going to be 150 rules that the kids will want to dive in on. My list had, I'm not going to say 150, but a bit of an exaggeration, but I think the, when we created just our bank of rules, there was about 40 of them. Because wow. they, yeah, yeah. Because there were specific things like, we will always hold the iPad with two hands. It's we, an important rule. It is an important rule. Um, or we will, you, we will take out the uh, connecting blocks for math in very careful ways. We will clean up the Jenga blocks when we are done using them. When we have, when we have indoor recess times. So you can kind of see where we're getting here. You're getting very, very, very specific things. Week two of the classroom says that you should says that you should actually reflect on them. And add more to them if you need to, but then slowly start to categorize them into this into these three main categories of the self, each other, and the community. So you have these three kind of narrow down rules, or three big rules for the classroom. Um, and these are used to keep it simple. Uh, just like the rules for the specialist teachers, these should be done in a positive language as opposed to the negative. Kids will, and that is a struggle for certain grades, Yep. to want to list them in the positive. Most will want to try and do it with a negative slant. I will make sure I will not do this. We want to make sure it's listed in a positive way. And the same, and you'll hear a link to that with interactive modeling. How everything is worded and everything is kind of done with positive, reinforced language. So if you're a visual arts teacher, sample rules. Number one, do your best learning. Number two, encourage everyone's creativity. Number three, be careful. And number four, keep everything tidy. There we go. And that applies to every grade level very easily. Yes, and that's just, that's just it. The rules, the three main, the three or four main rules you make will end up being generic to any, any classroom in the end. For example, um, I'm actually looking at my classroom rules right now on my screen here just to make sure I don't mess up the language that we created as a class. And... The self-rule that create, that we created was we will always try to be resilient. The kids established that one as a self-rule because they wanted to... We've been talking a lot about growth mindset in the classroom at the time. And we realized that we wanted to talk, talk each other up and we wanted to make sure that when we were working, we tried our best all the time. Uh, our community rule... Sorry, our each other rule um, was we will choose the golden rule. You know, treat others the way you want to be treated. So that's how they will treat each other. And then our community rule was we will act, we will act, we will accept, sorry, responsibility for our own actions and words. And that was meant to be a community rule because it, it talked about how their own actions and words affect the community, both positively and negatively. And how the, and that, that, that responsibility also is accepting of the materials in the room and their actions towards those materials. So we established those as our three big rules, and we and they are posted in our in my room right now, and they are observable by the kids pretty much anywhere in the room when they go, because you make constant reference throughout the whole year mm -hmm. to these core rules that you've created. 
And that's something that's common with the specialists as well, is that you keep coming back to the rules. Yeah. Keep tying it to the learning. How is it that what we're doing today ties back to that community rule? And keep it brief. This is not some like beat a dead horse conversation. No. It's a minute, two tops, and we move on. Yeah. And it's meant to really make sure that the kids understand what the expectations are. Um, and because they're broad, we can bring them down to just about anything in the room. Uh, and these end up sitting, when you, when you interactively model, the rules are going to be there. When you institute logical consequences, which you will talk about later, uh, that way they will be there again. One of the things that they do recommend, which is a little bit more difficult for a specialist teacher, is to keep the rules at eye level. Yes. Now, as a specialist teacher, I'm teaching four-year-olds through currently 15-year-olds all in the same room. There's a whole bunch of different eye levels. Yep. And for, for our room, the same thing. Third graders tend to vary in many heights. So I typically keep it just above the eye level of my tallest one. Um, and that way, but it's typically in one of the sides of the room. So even, when, even some of my smaller kids can see it with ease. Mm-hmm. Um, now, as a specialist, because you're the one that created the rules and the kids didn't create the rules, one of the activities that you could do to help them engage with those rules is to actually help them visualize how those rules look. Mm. So you could do a Y chart. So you can put the task up at the top, the rule in the middle, and then looks like, sounds like, feels like. And so for example, if you're going through and doing something on the xylophone, and you can actually say, you know, it. What's, how are we going to be taking care of this? And so it looks like, well, you're seated crisscross. You have, you know, your fingers doing pinch grip on the mallets. You're playing in the middle of the bars. What does it sound like? Well, we are using quiet voices or we're silent. Um, we are using a moderate volume. We're not pounding on the instrument. Um, we're asking for help when we need it. So there's the different things that you can actually do to help the students engage with those rules. And the equivalent of an elementary teacher is establishing those rules in the specific subject areas. For example, um, case of my rule, we choose the golden rule. You might ask the kids, we're about to play a fun math game together. It's a game of 44s. How can we follow our rule about using the golden rule in this game? Or, uh, let's say we're about to take out uh, our seeds for the first time and plant them. You might kind of go, how can we accept responsibility for our actions and words, both positively and in ways that challenge us as we do this activity? And so you may reinforce all those rules. And, and this isn't just a beginning of the year thing. Mm -hmm. This is literally like right till the end of the year. Because this is going to tie into how you positively word things towards the children when a consequence might be needed. Um, and when you're coming back to these rule discussions, it's really important to come back to them when the students have had a challenging situation. Yes. Whether it goes well or not. So, for example, um, we knew it would be tough to stay focused when we sang with the other grades for the first time, but you all did it. Which of our rules helped you? Hmm. So we've got the kids, now they can start thinking about, oh, well, actually, this was the rule that helped me be able to be focused. And similarly, you didn't have much fun during our football game today. 
Let's have another look at our rules. Which rule was hard to follow? True. And because they could say, well, you know, it was really hard for me to do, to be able to participate because this person kept bugging me. Right. And then you can try and frame that in a more positive way than say, this person was bugging me. So how can we word that in a positive way that is about the classroom rules? Um, the biggest convenient part, the most convenient part about these rules when done in the elementary classroom way is the automatic buy-in. The process, because it starts with hopes and dreams, builds to goals, and then builds to rules, there is kind of an automatic buy-in from the kids with that. The kids are the ones who created the rules. And every classroom's rules, though they might be similar in the guts of them, what's really happening inside of them, are actually um, automatically bought in because the kids created them. Yes. And it's a little bit more difficult for a student to buy into something that they didn't create. Specialist teachers may need to work a little bit harder on that one yeah. if they're creating the rules themselves. Or maybe you just take a page out of the classroom teacher's book and spend a lesson creating the rules with your students. Yeah. Hopefully, all of your classes come up with the same three rules. Or, and this is an even bigger suggestion, collaborate with your elementary school colleagues Ooh. and maybe sit in on a couple of classrooms when their rules are being created. I know, it tends to take your prep time away. However, it could be really valuable because then you have similar... If you're in a small school, this is going to be way more effective. Yes. Um, because you'll actually have the time to be able to do this. Um, if you're in a school as large as the one that I work in, that might be more challenging as you may be teaching 20 or 30 different classes. So you might need your prep time for exactly that purpose. But if you're in a small school, yeah, you might actually be able to, like several specialist teachers might sit in with the elementary teacher when the rules are being created so that there's a similar set of rules across the whole grade level. And, you know, if you are at a larger school, just ask the classroom teacher to send you a picture of what the students have come up with. Yep. Because then you can start drawing those parallels. Uh, a suggestion for some specialist teachers, just throwing this out there, might be get all the sets of rules from all the teachers in that grade. Take, some time, take a few minutes just for the kids to look at them and figure out what the commonalities are, what the things are that are the same, and you establish your rules from those commonalities. Now, the, the reality the is... in black marker. <laughs> grade one, yes, maybe. Um... <laughs> And then by doing that, um, you do get buy-in from them, but you also, the kids also get to see, oh, those are my rules from my classroom. Oh, that's what my friend is doing. And there's a bit of automatic buy-in that way because you, you, you get the relationship going there. So that might be a suggestion of a way to establish your rules where the kids do get some buy-in. Yes. Um, the other thing that is really important for specialist teachers Uh, that really connects back to your rules are your classroom routines. And that is going to be a later episode. Yes. But keep that in mind to tune back in in a couple of weeks so that you can actually hear about those routines because they are super important. Cool. All right, folks. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you have a great weekend, week. And hopefully, please leave some feedback for us, yeah. whether that's positive or said in the positive. Um, <laughs> As always, if you have a question, tweet out to us at Teaching Brood. Uh, you can also visit our website, which is teachingbrood.com. And if you do tweet out to us, I highly encourage you to tweet out to Responsive Classroom, uh, as those are the people who are the actual experts on this. We are simply some early practitioners. Yes. Enjoy. Have a great day.